Hola, mi nombre es Fiorella Pinillos y trabajo en SFU's Fan City Office of Community Engagement. Bienvenidos a Below the Radar. On this episode, we sit down with Landon Hoyt and Anna Godfroy of the Binners Project, a social enterprise dedicated to improving the economic opportunities and reducing stigma of waste pickers. This unique organization works to combat environmental and social injustice. Anna, the co-founder, and Landon, the current director, chat with our host, Am Johal, about the unique and powerful work of the Binners Project. Welcome to Below the Radar. Uh, we're joined by Anna Godfroy from the Binners Project and the incoming executive director, uh, Landon Hoyt. Welcome to both of you. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's really quite an interesting time now that you're in your last few weeks. Um, uh, and a, a project that you've been building for uh, a number of years. And I'm wondering if we can sort of begin with how you got involved um, in the project and kind of what, how you've been developing the organization over the past few years. We started yeah, almost over five years ago now. And um, initially the idea was to connect uh, the binners which means the waste pickers, the local recyclers, to get them to connect to each other and um, like help them having a more collective voice and hearing what their needs were and what could be done to support their work. Uh, recognizing that they recycle uh, waste, they help cleaning up the streets. And so the whole idea was how do we support um, a group of people that's pretty invisible or not really, we don't really talk about them. So... So that's how we started. Just really simple idea, like listening to, to the binners. A number of uh, years ago, you know, when United We Can was starting out in the 90s, there was people like Ken Leotier around, and I think he was probably involved around the start of this project uh, as well. Uh, but there's, you know, over time been real kind of maybe a change of practices and approaches to understanding the economics of waste collecting and picking and recycling and in, in ways that also make sure that there's earned uh, income for people who are engaging in, in that type of uh, activity. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you see uh, over time how that process has changed and evolved and uh, gotten more complicated in ways that have uh, supported uh, incomes of people in the neighborhood here. So I think we, our initiative, we we kind of came at the right time uh, in the sense that there is a bit of a trend around uh, finally coming back to uh, looking at what we throw away and realizing that things there's a lot of things that go to the garbage that still has value and could be reused by somebody or re resold or fixed or eaten, like a lot of food is being thrown away. And so we... We heard that from the binners that that was one of the first thing they told us was there's just so much that we throw away that we want to recycle and reuse or sell or whatever. And so, and I think, you know, it's kind of coming back to old traditions and where people used to use things till they're very much completely done and or fix their stuff. And so, you know, there's a bit of coming back. I don't know how you call that, but it's a bit of a trend to to look back at that and at being, being a bit nostalgic to that, those times where uh, things were not made of plastic, not everything was made of plastic. And often a lot of the binners we work with are, are a bit older and uh, 
they've been around the block. I think it's an expression. And so they kind of re-talked that and um, almost everyone in the project, in the Binance project is, is from a younger generation. And so it's, it was kind of a, a nice uh, learning, you know. Uh, and then in terms of just the whole recycling industry, um, the recycling industry is, uh, is the technology is advancing really fast and uh, a lot of material that wasn't even recyclable two years ago is now, uh, a, like we're now able to break it apart and recycle pl so many plastics and things that were not even compostable and can be like, there's just a lot of changes in, in uh, the recycling industry and that's, why, that's what I mean when I say we came at the right time is we, we just kind of, just surf on that wave like um and so we've been able to um train the binners uh they already know how to recycle but we've been able to like keeping them up to and we are working on that keeping them up to date in terms of recycling uh rules and and so yeah that's how we developed uh, some of our programs it's around that it's the idea that uh, recycling is very complicated at this time and we train people to be able to do that yeah, great. Landon, you, um, you know, most recently worked at SFU Public Square, but before that you were executive director at Hastings Crossing Business Improvement Association, which has a kind of social enterprise uh, mandate. And if I remember correctly, you were uh, with Sustainable SFU uh, as Sustainability well. Office. Sustainability yeah, Office. So where were your first interactions with the with the Binners Project mm -hmm. in, the, in the past? Yeah, probably first interactions were when I was still at SFU in my first job uh, at the tail end of that and I think when you were probably just becoming a project and you know the opportunity maybe existed to to explore how you know SFU could be involved or 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 how the Binners project could be involved in other sort of zero waste initiatives um you know at the university but primarily um when I started working closely with Anna and, and the project was when I was at the BIA and our role there you know aside from being a BIA set up as a BIA to support um, business and property owners in 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 the downtown east side, but actually, you know, our role was really to connect businesses with social enterprises and nonprofits in the community. And so, one of those sort of um, key uh, groups that we that we kind of referred a lot of businesses to in a lot of ways was was Business Project. And we were just talking about it um, this morning in a separate meeting that we had, but. You know, we would have groups come to us a lot for sponsorship money um, at the BIA or to support an event going on in the community or something like that. And a way for us to decide to sort of attach a few strings to that sponsorship would be, okay, we'll, we'll support you, you know, if you use, you know, X percentage of, of the funding to, you know, support or to bring Binner's project to your event, for instance. And, you know, more often than not, they were they were happy to do that. And now... Um, there's a couple of events that we do annually at Binner's Project now that uh, were a result of something like that being arranged. So yeah, my role there uh, was, you know, having Binner's Project at a lot of the at the table for a lot of community meetings that we had, but also like bringing them into um, partnerships with different businesses and events we had going on in the community. Now, when you have a big uh, institutions, even public ones like universities or government agencies. Uh, procurement practices are uh, set up around certain structures which are publicly mandated and oftentimes they come from a kind of risk management uh, point of view but it really kind of tends to work against community development or community engagement in a kind of way that's meant to actually uh, support projects like Binner's Project and I'm wondering for either of you 
Uh, what are some of the strategies and approaches you've used to interact with larger businesses or public institutions? And also where the barriers are in terms of advancing the types of things that you're working on? So it's exactly that. It's uh, If it's a very big, like an institution, like a university, or it's just very hard because we're very much the little group and we're trying to knock on doors and they don't, you know, nobody's really picking up. And especially, I think it's especially true for us because we are dealing, again, with waste and it's not something that even existed. Like sorting waste is not even a service that really exists anywhere or in some places, very innovative places, but it's kind of a new need that often big uh, corporations or institutions don't even know they have. Yeah, so it's really like, it's even harder because we have to tell them, hey, this is what we do and this is why you need that. It's not even obvious to them. Uh, but then, yeah, I mean, Vancouver is uh, is kind of the, a good size like in terms of networking. So I found Vancouver is uh, is small enough that once people work with you and they're happy with you, they can talk about your services to others and it's kind of a snowball effect. Uh, so I really like that. And, and I think what Landon mentioned earlier with the BIA is a perfect example where they would sponsor um, a, one, you know, an event organizers and they would... In, like kind of pressure them a bit to, to work with community and uh, they would work with us once, they're happy with it. The next year they put that into their budget as like, okay, now waste cost money. You can't just waste. Uh, you have to pay. There's a price that price tag that comes with uh, producing waste at an event and we're going to hire local people to help us deal with that. So, yeah, so I think that's that's how you, you overcome. And so it's all about piloting things. Like it's... Yeah, I mean, going back to your question a little bit, um, another way I think that's uh, sort of the way to get into large institutions involved in some of the social sort of responsibility work is, I mean, piloting something is super key. SFU has, what, nine buildings downtown and, and uh, one building right now is, is has the Binners Project in it regularly. And I don't know if there's been conversations so far about expanding that, but I think this is kind of being tested out in a couple of different ways in more than just waste. For instance, there's a new catering contract with SFU Vancouver that I was involved in the the RFP process for. And there's um, now written into the contract with the, the large caterer that they have on site that they have to source, you know, certain products or or baked items or, or whatever it might be from social enterprises in the downtown east side or you as a as a unit who's looking for catering at the for an event at the university or something like that have the option to to purchase some of your catering from different social enterprises so it's it's not perfect i would say because you know a social not every social enterprise in the downtown east side can has the capacity to to meet the demand of a large institution like sfu but i think the role that um SFU has in this case is being able to build that help build that capacity of those social enterprises right and and bringing in small ways that they can be involved and in, in helping them grow in different uh, sort of areas um, and so if you know a large caterer who a university has contracted can can provide some room um, within their larger contract to support some of these smaller social enterprises I think that's a, a really creative innovative way that we can use that model in other sort of RFP processes, for instance. Um, so I, I don't know. I've been impressed with that. And I, I think that 
groups like the city or the port or you know hospitals or whatever can take that model and and use it for some of their big contracts that they have as well. And uh, you know, at SFU at Woodward's, we were able to negotiate some of the similar things around social enterprise, but also around food from different ethnic communities because we we're doing a lot of small festivals that had that requirement, and so a kind of centralized contract didn't quite work. And trying to carve out those places where it made uh, sense. You know, one of the things that the Binners Project I think has done in a really interesting way is that in uh, meeting with uh, binners on a regular basis um, and talking to them, you've kind of run campaigns that are, you know, essentially have a lot to do with destigmatization, like everything from the T-shirts that people wear to the branding around the carts to the hooks that people can get to put up at their place so that uh, people know that their uh, binners are welcome to be there. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about kind of that process and uh, approach uh, in terms of how to kind of mainstream and make more visible the work of binners um, uh, over time. When we started and we started with consultations with binners and one of the main, I would say, I mean, the the two missions that we have now, like the mission of the, of the binners project uh, is based on those consultations. And so it's to decrease the stigma. So exactly that, work on showing a positive uh, image of binning and then help people earning more money doing that binning. And so it's been very much at the heart of what we do. And you cannot do one with the other. So you, by providing more opportunities for people to make money and uh, get access to more refundables and material you you can show you can show how you do that and you at, you kind of tackle the stigma uh, that comes with binning so I don't know if I'm being clear but I think really the approach is to uh, showcase positive work and the contribution and so instead of as an as a grassroots group we and listening to the binners again we they, they wanted us to focus on the positive. They didn't really want us to tell the sad story of their life story. Like this kind of comes once you meet the people, but as a group, they really wanted us to focus on the work and the contribution that they make. And and so we found ways to do that. The beginners wanted to have very clear, bright colors, uh, uniform, like a, so it's a green T-shirt, green uh, hat and they have like a name tag as well with their name, their photo on it. They love that. That's very important to them. And then they also asked for business cards that uh, have one side that's um, blank. So, you know, you have the logo, the definition of what the binners, uh, what binners are. And then at the back, you have a space to put their name and their phone number. And um, the, the, the motivation behind that was that they could go and approach local businesses and introduce themselves and look a bit more professional and a little bit cleaner and and then create those informal partnerships with local businesses. Um, so that's that was yeah that was the that's how we we working on the stigma. Uh, we have much more than that, but uh, those are the very basic, simple ways that um, that the beginners want to see and that's what they can use independently. So it's really like building their capacity. When they're involved with us, we always work toward building their capacity so that they can represent themselves better, they feel more included, and they create their own network um, with local binners, with local businesses, with the bottle depot that they go to. Like we help them, we give them those tools so that they can um, they can 
be pride, proud of what they do. You know, back uh, when United We Can uh, started and a group of binners kind of formed uh, around that, there was a lot of policy pieces in place that kind of worked against uh, people working on a part-time basis. There was an earnings exemption related to people who were on social assistance or disability. Uh, but you guys have also worked on other kind of policy reform pieces as well, like at Coffee Cup Revolution and others where you're looking at, um, you know, the, the possibilities of uh, putting um, a deposit fee on coffee cups that end up in the in into uh, the waste uh, system. Wondering what, you know, how you've approached uh, questions of policy change and what are also other policy barriers that get in the way of vendors being able to earn income and work uh, in terms of barriers that exist on that front? Well, that's, some, yeah, that's something we talk about a lot. Um, lately, we talk about that even more. So yes, we, we've done policy, like we are, um, we are advocating for change and policy. I w- it's always been a bit tricky because uh, we want to do that on the higher level and, uh, you know, lobby the government and do take on those big battles, but they're also very big battles that will take years. And being a grassroots small group, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one because the beginners might not see the, the, that side of the work. So it's always been, uh, you have to balance that with uh, the real work that does improve the day-to-day livelihood of people and at the same time working on the higher level policy work. So uh, one really great way of doing that is the Coffee Cup Revolution event that Ken Lutier, uh, came up, like he came up with this idea uh, at the very beginning, which kind of does both because we raise money in advance. We tell the bidders for five cents, you can bring as many cups as you want on that day. I mean, yeah, actually there is no limit. And um, yeah, you get five cents for each used cup. And in a, so that. We get so much media. We invite people from the community. We invite people from uh, like activists in the downtown side, uh, organizations, institutions to kind of take part on that one day event. And so that raised awareness around the waste uh, of coffee cups, around the recycling uh, standard that needs to to change. We pick up the battle around the refund that's only limited to beverage, like cold beverage, uh, refundable material. And then... It also brings the binners to the table because that's very tangible to them. They can make money on that day. So it's kind of, you know, trying to do advocacy work, but that still connects with the members that they're able to really understand and really take action in it. And then in terms of uh, welfare, maximum earning exemption, that's something uh, Lyndon and I have been talking about and I'm leaving, but I really hope that's something the Binance Project can play a role in and it's like pressuring the government because that's definitely a big barrier for us. As we get more contracts, we're able to provide more income opportunities to the Binance, but yet they are not able to work full-time, nine to five. Like it's just not possible with their health issues, mental health, addiction issues. So how do we um, allow people to contribute to the amount that they can. And if that means four hours a week, well, that's better than nothing. So how do we make sure the governments understand that and, and change the regulations? Yeah, and there's there's other groups and, and organizations in and around the downtown east side that were kind of doing this on a united front, I think. And, you know, we had conversations with still when I was at the BIA about earning exemptions and things. And, and it's also, I think, about educating 
employers around if a, if someone wants to move into something uh, some sort of employment that's a little more formalized how can an, an employer support that and and be aware of those earning exemptions and maybe um, do more task-based work that's not you know necessarily a full-time employment sort of thing um, because that's not for everyone and there's people that we work with that are never going to be able to to um, you know, hold a full-time job. And so how can we still allow them to, to get some income and not have it affect their, their welfare check, you know? Um, so it's, it's about providing that employment to, or um, a training to the employers as well, I think. Now, Landon, you've, you know, worked inside of a university, worked with the BIA. Uh, what drew you to apply for this position? It's probably a question during your interview. In fact, you know, you've clearly had an interest doing uh, community work, but you've chosen to come in and, and work for an organization like this, and you've collaborated with it in your other uh, roles. But what is it about uh, this work and this organization in particular that you're interested in in, in working on? Yeah, I think um, when I was at the BIA, I, I really enjoyed that work and, and being you know, on the ground in the community, trying to find ways, uni- unique ways to support a lot of the organizations like Vinners Project. Now, or then when I left, that was kind of, you know, I think it took being away from it a bit to, to realize actually maybe maybe that's kind of in a, the space where I thrive a little bit better. And, um, you know, I, I knew going into my just recent role with SFU that there were certain skills that I wanted to really work on a little bit and, and um Janet, you know, at Public Square allowed me to to focus on those, which was great. And and um, now I'm able to, I think, bring those a little bit to the Winners Project, a little more skilled in, in certain areas. Um, but I think this project in particular um, is doing something that is really unique and challenging in, in, in Vancouver or anywhere. Um, but you know, the, the projects and the programs that we're working on are really unlike any other sort of organization in North America for that matter. And I think that there's something there. Um, and like Anna was mentioning, it's, it's, it's framed in a very different way compared to other social enterprises or charities or, or whatever, um, in that it's, it's very positive and the sto- you know, we're very much about framing, you know, the livelihoods of, of, Binners in particular in a, in a positive way and reducing that stigma, but also showing that, you know, it's not, you know, we, we need funders and donors to support us, not because people are sad and downtrodden, but actually like, look what you're doing. And, you know, if you support us, you're actually like providing a really unique opportunity for Binners to feel empowered. And then you're, you know, there's a really positive story to tell there. And so I think that that's, that's a, something that this organization, in, that Binners Project in particular, does in a really fascinating and effective way. So I'm excited to be a part of that. And, um, you know, I think that uh, we're kind of at that next phase as an organization, too. I mean, I'm still somewhat speaking as, as an outsider, I think, as I'm only in my second week. But, you know, there's a few upcoming sort of projects and opportunities that I think will elevate Benner's project to the next level um and i mean one in particular if i can talk about it i think is is uh you know hopefully we're successful in, in achieving some funding that's coming down the pipeline but um either way if we're not uh, i think it would still be amazing but is really building some training and empowerment opportunities for binners and developing leadership and organization skills for them to actually represent Binners as a whole represents Binners Project in the public, being 
able to keep the organization, maintain it as a real grassroots organization that's led by and for binners, but building up the binners' leadership skills so that they're able to kind of take it and, and, and run with it. I think that there's conversations about doing some training and building some sort of regular sort of program that we can identify vendors that are interested in doing that and lifting them up to the to the next level wherever that is for them but i think it's about meeting them where they're at it's it's about listening and learning from the vendors themselves but i think that there's some really cool opportunities there when it comes to training and, and leadership development now, um, Anna, I met you like I think something like five years ago when you're starting the project. It was a Cities for People conference. I think you were there with Ken, mm-hmm. the OTA, and uh, and over time I you know ran into you again because uh, the binners dinners were happening at I think the Salvation Army. You guys were getting bigger than their boardroom, and you started meeting over at Woodward's. You should see and the our photos. Bo- our, our boardroom holds about 20 people, but I remember walking by there on, I think it was Monday or Tuesday evening, I think it was Mondays, but they, they, there'd be 50 people like going right into the, the hallway. And of course, you guys were waiting to get into 312 Main, like a number of organizations were. So I've seen sort of the growth, literally, and now we're <laughs> just down the hallway uh, from each other. But it's interesting to me as well, just, you know, watching you grow with the the organization. It's interesting, you know, how is it, what draws you to this work? Because, you know, you come from a law background from France and then you land down in Vancouver and spend five years building up a binners organization. And now who knows what you're doing in the future? I won't even ask you that question (laughs) because you're sorting that out. But uh, 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 what makes you tick related to like doing a project like this? Because it seems a little bit random and out there it's completely random (laughs) it's completely random but it is and it isn't so yes uh, when I came here I knew I wanted to do social justice I've always been interested in social justice community work I mean I didn't even know what community work meant when I started that's that's that should tell you how like random that was but I live. I mean, I, I just randomly moved, uh, not too far from the downtown side, on the on the border of the downtown side, and so I could see very much at the front, like firsthand, uh, the poverty in the downtown side, and the it was really shocking the contrast between Vancouver and like the rest of Vancouver and the downtown side is like complete, like crazy contrast. As a foreigner, it was I think even probably more shocking. We talk about positive, and you know, of course, people we work with have crazy challenges but when I, so I started volunteering in the downtown side for a bunch of organizations and I really liked the work and I realized that the people in the downtown side have tra- challenges and barriers to uh, traditional employment and finding their place if I can say in society and but it was really interesting because there's just so much people have so much potential it's just the, the potential doesn't come in a nice package, you know, uh, it doesn't come maybe as obviously or directly as it is for typical person. And so, but I could see that there was a lot of untapped energy and uh, skills and strength. And so, so at first I volunteered uh, with Ken, I was with Ken Lottier and we got binners together with uh, a bunch of other, like we were a bunch of people. I was just one of uh, a, a committee under the umbrella of One Earth. And we got a bit of funding from uh, McConnell Family Foundation and we just started doing that as a volunteer and, and it really picked up and I kind of took on the leadership and, and then that's how it started. 
But I think really just to say that, I don't know, like it, it's interesting because you see, like we talked about earlier, like there's a lot of organizations that do amazing work, but I do find it's something that actually really pisses me off, is, if I can say, is the, the fact that often we don't actually consult the people. <laughs> And it's shocking. When you look, it's shocking how many programs are being developed without actually doing a real work in terms of digging into like, What are the needs and how do you like asking people and be like, how can we help you? Do you even want help? And, you know, not and so not dealing with people as like the end user of a service, but being like really active in in building solutions. And and so that's something I don't know. I just feel really strongly about that. And and uh, the Binance project, that's what we've done, like always. And, you know, when London earlier, you mentioned the positive side, it's because the Binance won that and. When I talk to our members, uh, they don't identify, they all, yeah, they all have addiction issues, but don't, they don't want me to talk about them as drug addicts and they want me to talk about them as, no, look, uh, they're learning how to sort and they're diverting waste and, you know, they choose to be active in their uh, path to well-being. So it's just something I feel strongly about. Yeah. Now, in terms of, uh, you know, working in this uh, neighborhood, learning from working uh, with the binners, how has it changed you as a person? Yeah, uh, I learned a lot. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, learned, I learned collaborative work. I don't know, it taught me to, sounds not really humble, but it taught me to be humble. It taught me to, because I'm very much from that generation of people that are educated, have masters, have blah, blah, blah. So I've been, I came from a generation where we think we have the solutions. And, and so it was very humbling to be like, just shut up and listen. And you might not understand what homelessness is because you don't have experience being homeless. And so it has taught me that to be listening and to bring the skills that, you know, that I could, that were useful for the, for the group. So yeah, it has taught me that and... Yeah, just starting from scratch, like it was a startup, very much a startup, like not a traditional charity. We worked really much as a, as a social enterprise, as a startup. And so just really interesting, uh, just really exciting work to, to start from scratch and have like one staff and then, or like volunteer and then I'm my, you know, I'm staff and then I hire someone else. And then, you know, I never even did a job interview, like I never hired anyone before. And so slowly and now we are a big team. And so it's really cool. So just, uh, yeah, hope and it made me like realize that anything is, I mean, anything is possible in a way. Like if you can help beginners, like if you can help those guys that are in the back lane that are like older men and drug addicts and, you, you know, there is hope. Like a lot of things can change, I think, in the world. And uh, Landon, what are you looking forward to in the in the work uh, going ahead as you start this new position? I'm really looking forward to, to learning and listening for from Binners specifically, but people that are you know more on the ground than than I've really ever worked with before. So that's both sort of intimidating personally, but also like I'm actually really excited and, and humbled about. And even when I have this week, when I've had one-on-one -on -one conversations with several binners, I'm happy that it's it's the conversations have already been enlightening and and you know they're quizzing me on which items go in which streams and things like that so uh, I'm being tested a little bit but you know I, I think I it's about building that trust and and that's kind of my first priority is as the new director is to 
to get to that point where where I can be trusted in the community and you know let them know that that I am working for their best interests as well. But I mean, one thing in particular that um, I know Anna's really excited about too, but I'm really excited to come online is the the Universal Cart project. And uh, you know, we our plan hopefully by the time this is aired, uh, it will be launched. But um, uh, you know, we're gonna have 20 new metal carts um, that will be so, sort of like a Moby stations. Um, one, one right outside here at 312 Main and then one at the um, uh, United We Can Depot over on Industrial Avenue. And those will be available to to binners um, to use for up to 12 hours every day. And they're, can, they'll be unlocked via a voice-activated uh, system, which is software system, which is really exciting. Um, so I'm excited for that to launch and there'll be a big to-do about that dignitaries and the public will be invited you know all that so it should be should be pretty fun but i think that i know that's been a really long long haul sort of hard project for for anna and the team to work on so i hope that you're still in town when it launches Anna. (laughs) that's my uh my biggest piece and i mean i think overall speaking um something that i think is is the most exciting about the project is is really the public representation part and because i think that's really where we are able to reduce that stigma and you know if we're having binners that are included in panels at events or leading tours or sharing their stories at different events and things like that and they're being compensated for that but also like recognized and um, a part of those conversations I think that's really key to building that um, reduction in stigma along with all of the actual income opportunities that they're that they're doing and um whether it's behind the scenes or at public events or, or whatnot. But to me, I think that's something that is getting to the heart of why we exist, right? Anna, Landon, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And uh, we're going to miss you, uh, Anna, so don't be a stranger. Yes. Back to Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks for having us. Take care. Thank you again to Landon Hoyt and Anna Gottfroy for joining us on this episode of Below the Radar. To learn more about the Binners Project, you can check out the link in the description below. Join us next week when we chat with Milena Dromeva and Brett Ashley about urban soundscapes and sonification of public engagement. Not just SFU, but the School of Communication in particular is uh, kind of world famous for uh, starting acoustic ecology, the acoustic ecology movement. Everyone thinks of jobs and marginality and moral quandaries on a pretty visual level. And I think there's something to be discovered in addressing them from an aural perspective. We'll catch you next time on Below the Radar.